0: If we could, dear saints, please rise to your feet for the reading of God's Holy Word. The Old Testament reading for today is found in Psalm 119, verses 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that you pr- that your promise gives me life. The New Testament reading for today, also the passage that we will be Uh, reflecting upon, is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Join with me in prayer. Father, you are holy, you are right, and you are truth. We are thankful for your steadfast love when we are often unlovable. We are thankful for your grace when we most days don't deserve it. Let us act in like manner with our brothers and sisters and those outside this church, reflecting your holiness and your goodness, hopefully to call the lost home. Hear our prayers, O Lord, in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the New Testament text of Second Timothy is what we will be drawing upon today. It's one of those texts that you can really use with multiple topics. And today it, it, it is a little unorthodox, the topic I am using this for, but I think it's absolutely applicable. The title for today is, What is Homosexuality at its Core and Why Should I Care? You may be asking yourself, why am I teaching on such a passage? But it is is—it is my job, I believe, to help equip saints to deal with problems outside these walls. And so I have taken on the task over the next 12 months of picking that mantle up and taking about six different things that are going on out in the world, one of which is homosexuality, and beginning to equip the saints with what it is we're exactly working with here, what it is that we're up against. Because I believe that often our, our, I, I, our idea of what these sinful lifestyles are, are a little bit shallow, and I think we need to have a deeper understanding of what it is we're up against. So, this sermon will again touch on a delicate subject matter that may highlight the specific lifestyles of some of the people you love deeply. Maybe some of your direct or extended family, your friends, your co workers, maybe even your neighbors. This particular subject matter respects no borders, cultures, or age distinctions and permeates society as we know it. I am, of course, speaking about sexual perversion, and more specific to this sermon, the perversion of homosexuality that rests under that broader umbrella. The initial reaction to this type of sermon may be to become offended. I ask that you refrain from such a choice and listen carefully to what God speaks to you today and know that I love you and know that I love the lost souls that are trapped in a lifestyle that offends God and I pray for them often, and that this sermon is not an attack on them, but rather, it is the word of God making straight the world desperately desires to be crooked. And it is most certainly a call to God's people to be informed on the true nature of this particular sin and how to approach the homosexual community with a Second Timothy mindset. My hope is to spur you on to deliver the gospel to this community, not to withhold it from them. For how else will they be freed if the good news of a better community is not preached to them? On June 22nd, 26th, excuse me, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage was to be legalized and enforced in all 50 states. This was not simply a blow to religious freedom in this country, as some would say, but rather it was something much, much bigger. It was yet again another assault on God and His created order, and we must see it as nothing less than that. We live in a society, a society today that is becoming more and more vile, and where the evil one seems to be everywhere. The attacks on conscience seem endless, and the onslaught appears to be coming from all sides. The war for the souls of the lost often seems hopeless and unwinnable, and we find ourselves sometimes not understanding what the true issues are that we are fighting against. The attacks on the church have increased in frequency and fervency, and in many cases, churches have caved to social demands and have only added to the deception that Satan wields over mankind. These attacks have become so regular, and the waters have been muddied for so long that people no longer recognize it for what it truly is. Pornea has become the the currency of the world. In fact, the waters are so muddied that when I asked a group of teenagers recently about this very issue... They responded by informing me that if you were not gay or bisexual, you were the strange one in the room. I was stunned, to say the least. This should not really come, though, as a shock when you really think about it. This has been cooking for quite a long time. From politicians openly running as gay advocates in the 70s, to Boy George expressing his homosexuality proudly on MTV in the 80s, to gay and lesbian church formations in mass in the 90s, to gender-neutral bathrooms at grade schools in 2009, to finally Bruce Jenner being addressed as a woman on national television and highlighted on the cover of magazines as a hero and as woman of the year, as if this is normal. This spiral downward has been quite clear for decades to all with eyes to see. Well, friends, I felt in light of these events just highlighted, a sermon was in order on what the clear waters of Scripture, the straight path of righteousness, actually teaches. I fear that this type of sermon will have to be taught in pulpits around the country more often than not just to counteract the continued onslaught of deception from the world. I will begin today with a simple but certain statement. Men and women are not the blind products of chance evolution wherein nothing is normative and individuals are free to choose their own morality and sexuality. There is a creator God and there is an order to his created works. God created in a certain way and God created for a certain purpose, period. I will look at the issue of homosexuality in two main parts each with their own subpoints. First, I want to lay out a foundational scriptural support for why homosexuality cannot be condoned by God or his church, arguing against the notion that they were born that way. Therefore, God made them that way, thence it must be okay. I will show this scripturally in five distinct and irrefutable subpoints that will clearly tear down this notion. Second, I will then lay out the natural conclusion to that scriptural to that scriptural foundation that makes homosexuality actually condemned. So I'm going to show in two parts that homosexuality is never condoned and that it is always condemned. Let us begin. My first Main part, foundationally, we see five distinct areas that deal with homosexuality. Homosexuality violates the divinely intended order and the essence of human creation itself. In Genesis, God declared it was not good for man to be alone, but nobody was suitable for Adam in all of creation. So, he created Eve for him a woman as a divine complement and counterpart to maleness. We read this in Genesis two eighteen through 24. Let me read this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him or corresponding to him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they become one flesh. Now the Hebrew word used here in 2.18 for fit or fit for him uh, is is ganagdo, which means corresponding directly to Him. Corresponding directly to Him. Now this means that God made woman to correspond directly to and with man. Not any of the animals, not the vegetation, not the birds, not the stars, nor with any other woman, but with man alone from creation. Equally so, man was not made compatible with anything other than woman. Accordingly then, only one man and one woman at one time were intended to have intimate sexual fellowship, and this was deemed good by God. This means homosexuality distorts and disorders God's intentions in and for creation, and that the practice of homosexuality contradicts the pattern of heterosexuality at its most basic level. So I say again, my first point was homosexuality violates the divinely intended order and the essence of human creation itself. Second point, homosexuals cannot obey God's command to procreate. Homosexuals cannot obey God's command to procreate. In Genesis 1.28, God commanded Adam and Eve and their descendants to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I want you to think beyond Adam and Eve here for a moment. If God commanded them to fill the earth, it wasn't a suggestion. He commanded them to fill the earth. This would mean that they would be having children. And at some point, there would have to be many males and many females running all over the planet. If heterosexuality and homosexuality were both equal and viable options for mankind, as some have suggested ordained by God to be good in the garden, then God would not have commanded mankind to procreate. If he had done so, are you ready for this? If he had done so, then he would have been the author of sin. Because he would have commanded them to do something that they cannot do. And that's not our God. So I say again, homosexuality is clearly not condoned by God because those that practice it cannot obey God's command to procreate. Third, homosexuality itself constitutes a conscious rebellion against the divinely created order. I say a conscious rebellion because it's not an accident. Turn with me, if you could, to Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. Romans 1, 18 through 32, reads as follows. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts in their heart to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations, natural relations, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. According to Romans one thirty two and other scriptures, homosexuals know that their behavior is sinful. The continued choice to practice such activity is therefore an intentional rebellion against God and His created order. Again, if He is the creator of all things, then He is the creator of the order of things as well. To go contrary to His order is to go contrary to Him. Let me give you an example. Parents. You have an order in your home. You have a way that your home is run. There's rules. There's all sorts of things going on, right? And one day, your 11-year-old decides to just make up his own rules and do his own thing. And you come home, and you are looking at him stunned, saying, what? Are, this happened, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> You're looking, and you're stunned, saying, what, what, has, what has just taken place here? I, I don't understand this. You might want to just get upset that he broke the rules, but look at what's actually going on. When your child does that, he's in direct rebellion to you. He dethrones you and places himself on the throne. Moreover, he deems your rules to be inferior to his own thinking and has deemed his to be superior to you and your thinking. That's why he did it. That's, that's, I mean, most of us don't think through that when something small like that happens, but that is the truth. We become dethroned. The order of things are done away with. And he has deemed his own way to be better than the way laid out. Now that's okay with you guys, right, if that happens? You guys are okay with that? Of course not. Well, God's not either. God's not okay with this either. So again, I say homosexuality itself is a conscious rebellion to God and His created order. Now, we're going to be taking a closer look at this particular passage in the second part of today's sermon. But let's look at the fourth and the fifth foundational points that show God does not condone homosexuality to continue building a strong platform to then launch from. My fourth point. The Bible is saturated with the premises of the creation account. Were homosexuality legitimate in any manner, the Scriptures would not assume a heterosexual bias that would include the homosexual option. If God intended man to be bisexual or homosexual, it would be evident throughout other passages in Scripture relating to the nature of man. But the only standard we find upheld is the heterosexual one. From the first chapter of Genesis to the book of Revelation, heterosexuality is clearly proclaimed and upheld as normative. For example, we see in Revelation 19 that Jesus is portrayed as the faithful bridegroom in Israel, his bride indicating that heterosexual love can be the basis for expressing the mystery of God's loving the human race and saving it. The author of Ephesians, moreover, reiterates the same revealed truth about human sexuality in the context of his comparison between husband and wife. He proclaims that the husband is compared with Christ and the wife with the church. When the author wishes to express the love Christ has for the church, he turns to the heterosexual love of a husband and wife, giving no other model by which we could derive such a comfort or truth. That's chapter 5 of Ephesians, if you're taking notes. In other words, all of Scripture is impregnated with the premises concerning the properness of heterosexuality by comparison homosexuality is conspicuously absent except when it's being condoned or condemned. Clearly, the Bible only shows a model of heterosexuality as being right, proper, true, and orderly. All other models, bestiality, homosexuality, bisexuality, or any other are all opposite of this good order then. So truly, the Bible really is saturated from cover to cover with this premises of creation account. Now, my fifth point here is this. Homosexuality distorts the very image of God. Homosexuality distorts the very image of God. Genesis 1.27 clearly teaches that the image of God comprises both male and female. A complement which is eternal and will exist forever. To affirm homosexuality as biblical and normal is to distort the image of God and by implication to insult the nature and being of God himself. Oh, ouch. In understanding the divine purpose in creation and the fact that the creation reflects God's own being, we are better able to understand the reason for the biblical condemnation of modern homosexuality. Well, Homosexuality of all time really and why they are so severe to be in the image of God in its most simple aspect means to be his echo is the homosexual lifestyle an echo of the Godhead is homosexuality an echo of God's creative order shown in the garden that he then deemed good no of course not so I remind us again Homosexuality clearly distorts the image of God. So to summarize our foundational platform that shows God does not condone homosexuality, that's not part of His created order, the five areas that we highlighted were homosexuality violates the divinely intended order and the essence of creation itself, homosexuals cannot obey God's command to procreate, Homosexual homosexuality itself constitutes a conscious rebellion against the divinely created order, homosexuality distorts the very image of God. In our second part of today's sermon, I will lay out the natural conclusion then in Scripture, based upon that foundation that we just exposed, that homosexuality is not only foundationally incompatible with God and His created order, and therefore cannot be condoned, but is most certainly also condemned by God and historically been condemned by the church until recent years. I will begin by citing an episode of Scripture that is familiar to most, that being Sodom and Gomorrah, the place that everybody goes to to condemn homosexuality. Often I've heard teachings about Sodom and Gomorrah as being a lesson primarily focused against homosexuality. Well, that's a partial fallacy. That's a partial fallacy. The lesson is much deeper and has graver implications for our society today than may be readily visible. The core sin in the story is actually one of a lack of hospitality. That's the core that that sparked it, if you will. A lack of hospitality I said it. Now let me explain. In that region and time period, if travelers came from another town, hospitality was shown to them. This was a moral law instilled by God into man and was later commanded by God to his people. God placed man into a world, into communities, and into a general set rule or standard of moral living. It included feeding, housing, bandaging, protecting travelers or sojourners among them. The distance between towns was often so great that to deny this to a traveler was to sentence them in many cases to death. So hospitality in those days was one that demonstrated worth. Worth that human life was valuable and worth protecting. It was morally correct and good for the community to perpetuate such things. However, as we saw in the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative, hospitality had long since left the building. You've heard it said that mess begets mess, right? Well, sin begets sin. When hospitality left, the worth of the people, including themselves, had begun to spiral out of control in their minds. People were not people anymore, they were objects. Objects. This would ultimately lead to no respect for people, the community at large, or morality or religion. One compromise leads to another compromise until society reaches a level that demands to place itself uniquely in the world. Let me say that again. That demands to place itself, unlike God placing them into a community, they demand to place themselves uniquely into the world, uniquely into their own community and with its own set of rules and standards for moral living, in essence, to become their own godhead. This is truth, friends. I, I, I even have to find myself speaking about the homosexuals as a homosexual community, because that's how they reflect upon themselves. They have created their own community and placed themselves into the world saying, no, this is the moral standard, not the one that preexisted it. Romans chapter 1 shows this downward spiral too, unpacking it quite nicely for us from the initial spark and ultimately ending with complete and utter sexual deprivation. It declares that the homosexual acts being condemned are the direct consequence of an earlier apostasy as well as divine judgment. Paul teaches a logical trend downward. Having briefly touched on it earlier, let's take a look at Romans 1, 18-32 now. First, we see in verses 18-22 through 22 that men refuse to accept the intuitive knowledge which God has placed within them concerning Himself. Second, this results in rebellion against God manifested in idolatry. That was verse 23. Idolatry is just putting anything before God. Here they use uh, statues and things. God then begins a process of initial judgment or giving over to sin in verses 24 and 25. 26 and 27, we see something happen. This then produces in part unnatural lust and perversions and then the result and then this results in a wide variety of additional vices and evils as shown in verses 28 through 32 a quick glance into our own generation shows a similar patterning of choice as recently as 1961 every state in the nation allowed uh, outlawed homosexual activity by 1980 21 states had decriminalized such actions By 1994, 27 states had done so. According to the ACLU, 34 states have either repealed or lost cases related to enforcement of any anti-homosexual laws. Of the 16 states left, several have active court cases and appeals on this issue. Now, ultimately, we have now come to today, where all 50 states are mandated to uphold and perform homosexual marriages. Just as with Sodom and Gomorrah, I believe the initial downward turn for this particular country began when we stopped being hospitable to one another, when we stopped reaching out to one another, when we stopped viewing people as people. In a day of an era of social media, uh, I think I have a thousand friends I've never met. You know, and I know so many things about them and they know so many things about me and, and, and I can't even tell you what they look like I can't tell you who their family is I can't tell you what they're struggling with they're not people to me they're a picture on my computer hospitality has left the building and now we see the end result of that our community is falling apart Now, without going into a different topic of discussion, I simply want to just point out here what happened with this law. Remember abortion. When abortion was legalized, it implied morality. It implied morality. Gay marriage being legalized has now put it in the category as a new standard of morality that we all better get in line with. The danger here is far greater than that of open sexual deviance. What the gay and lesbian community is demanding is a type of protected status within the society. One that can then dictate to the rest of society what moral laws they should have, instead of which ones have been instituted by God. Need I remind you of the current governmental desires to force the Catholic Church to provide health insurance that allows for abortions and contraception. Even though they lost the battle a few days ago, do you really think they will stop pursuing such things? No. How much longer, folks, before they come through those doors and demand that the church must conform to their image? How many churches have already acquiesced? So with the foundational understanding that Scripture never condones homosexuality and that Scripture directly condemns it, where should the church stand on this issue in a fallen world that has embraced it as normative? I call upon Scripture for guidance once more, as every good Reformed Christian should. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13 He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters since then you would need to get out of the world. You'd have to have a space ministry. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I chose this passage because I want to highlight something. There may be people in this room that struggle with homosexuality. Notice the word I used, struggle. Homosexuality is just one of many sins. It's, it's, it's taboo, you know, to Christians, but it's, it's no different than drunkardness. It's a, well, it is different, but I mean, it, it's a sin, is what I'm trying to get across. And what I like what is said here in Corinthians is he says, make a distinction. When you're dealing with homosexuality, make a distinction as your first step. Who am I dealing with? Is this a brother? Or is this the world? Because that you, you, it, it depends on that factor as to what you do next. How we deal with each group is not the same. We recognize that those who have fallen into this sin may be at the end of the rope as seen in Sodom and Gomorrah and in Romans 1. Or may indeed be waiting to hear the glorious good news. The elect in waiting. We also have to recognize that if one of our own turns to such a sin, we cannot ignore it and must act for their sake and for the image of the bride. But it all starts with removing the stigma attached to the homosexual community and remember that people have worth. So we as sojourners in a foreign, idolatrous land must look upon our hosts and see that they are in desperate need of the gospel and not to approach them uninformed of the true, deep depravity that they are in. We must deliver the gospel to them with eyes wide open and truly equipped with scriptural awareness of what has taken them captive. We must always remember the Second Timothy passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God, so use it as your authority to free them from their shackles of depravity. And it is also profitable for teaching. Well then, teach the homosexual community the truth about what God has ordained and the freedom and forgiveness that He offers. It's also for reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness. So correct their twisted view of creation and their place within it and train them in the paths of righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Your obedience in this way could be used to unlock the hearts of tormented brothers and sisters trapped in a foreign community. Bring them home. In the end, though, we do need to realize it's not that homosexuality is keeping many of them from salvation, which is where most of us would initially go to. It's their unwillingness to turn from it, to repent, and to begin the struggle against their flesh that unites us all. I've yet to meet a Christian that's not struggling. I'm thankful that this is not my struggle, but I assure you I have my own, as do you. Many have chosen who and what they will fight and die for. Many in the homosexual community have chosen to die for themselves. However, we as Christians must evangelize them, never assuming that God has completely turned them over just yet. Recognizing that hospitality had left the building and this sexual depravity is the last step before they go off the cliff. That's who we're dealing with. All of God's elect were living in just as much rebellion against God at one point in time. Even you and I. But we received the gospel in spite of our condition... Then God turned our hearts towards himself and the rest will become our history. I would encourage you to stand firm upon what scripture teaches on this subject and go over your notes from today and become familiar with the foundation for our stance. Do not acquiesce to social demands, but rather be the light atop the hill that calls them out of darkness. A clear and discernibly different place to call them to. Not something that looks no different from the world they are currently in. Boldly proclaim the truth that nowhere in Scripture is the act condoned and also that it is quite definitely condemned. But also remember to love the lost with the same compassion that Christ loved you willing to die for them for the sake of the gospel. Desperately seeing their plight for what it is, their last stand in many cases before being turned over. For while you were sinners, Christ died for you. I will leave you with a famous final quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon himself. We all love Charles, don't we? If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. That is the purpose of today's sermon was not to gay bash or do any of that, but to inform you that this isn't something that we can be wishy-washy on, especially in this country and in this time. The church must stand firm with its arms wide open to draw them into truth, into the straight paths of righteousness. Don't come as you are and stay that way. Dear God, change. That's for all of us, right? And I want to encourage you to seek out this community. They're everywhere. Seek out this community. Go up to somebody and say, what's your name? I want to get to know you. How else will they be freed? They already think the church hates them. Until they find a church that says, no, it's okay to be gay. Then that's the church that loves them, apparently. But that's not the church. Let the real true church reach out to them and snatch them from the fires like we're supposed to. I'm going to be going over some things again over the next 12 months about Mormonism um, and uh, Islam. right? About every three months or so I'm going, to, I'm going to do a couple of these. Why aren't we talking to these people? Everybody's afraid of ISIS, Right? Are you praying for them? What else is going to change it? Unless we actively seek after them with the gospel. Nothing. They're they're depraved like we were before we heard the glorious news. So I encourage and I implore you, brothers and sisters, do not withhold the gospel of Jesus Christ from this tormented community. Deliver it to them. Join with me in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us first. For if it were left up to us to love you first, none of us would be saved. Thank you for looking upon us in our depravity and still saying, I'm going to die for you. Thank you for giving us the strength and the courage and the spiritual desire to reach out to those who are hurting right now and they don't even know it. To reach after this particular community and bring them into a better community. One that has real love, not fraudulent love. One that can offer real hope. One that can offer salvation. Let us struggle alongside them, Father, knowing that we all struggle with something. Let us bear one another's burdens, embrace one another in Christian love. But to know what we're dealing with is not simply one person loving another person in a weird way. But it's much deeper than that. And that they cannot remain in that lifestyle. And that we've got to preach to them and teach them and love on them. Showing them that that is a misguided world view. And there is a better way. Help us with that, Father. Strengthen us for that fight. Give us patience and endurance. We ask all these things in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.